0: What do you call that noise? The XTC podcast.
1: What do you call that
0: noise? Steal yourself for the hardest battle, the grooviest bass player, and the friendliest podcast. I'm Mark Fisher, and this is what do you call that noise? The XDC Podcast. With me today are two pretty special guests and one extra special guest who I'll be introducing in a second. First, something to get us into the spirit of things. In in recent episodes, we've been taking recommendations from some of the world's leading sommeliers about the perfect drink to pair with the perfect XDC song. So far, we've had Kathy Forster recommending a rum and coke with travels in Nihilon, Donna Reese pairing a strong dark Wiltshire ale with you're a good man Albert Brown and also a bottle of cheap cider to go with grass, sorry about this Colin, and Julie Matthews teaming the the wheel and the maple with a vodka and orange. Today it's the turn of Kate Catalina. What do you
2: call
1: that
0: noise?
1: My name is Kate Catalina and I suggest pairing XTC's Complicated Game with a nice chilled glass of chocolate whiskey.
0: Thank you, Kate. I'll be trying that before the episode is out. You can hear Kate's own music and a lot more besides at katecatalina.com. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the dedicated followers on Patreon. A big thumbs up to all of them. I'll give a name check to the Knights in Shining Karma at the end of the episode. And if you'd like to join them, please head to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. Um, I've, ju- I've just seen an article uh, only yesterday that, that has the headline, How Podcasters Replaced Our Real Friends. So that's a quite a, p- a responsibility we have. We've got to be the friends of everybody listening today. Um, so who are going to be your friends today? Uh, first, let me introduce Sarah Palmer. Hello, Sarah. How are Hello. you?
3: Mark, you are very professional. Well, I very much enjoyed that intro.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, many of you know Sarah from her appearance in the XDC documentary, This Is Pop. Sarah is our resident musician today, being a member of Fascine, who you can find out all about at fascine.com and you can also hear Sarah's renditions of nursery rhymes in two recent editions of the XTC podcast and then hello to Peter Mills. Hello, good morning Mark. Peter is the author of The Monkey's Head and the 19th and the 1960s available from Jawbone Press and you can also read him on the subject of Ladybird in the XTC bumper book of fun for boys and girls and on the songs of Colin Moulding in what do you call that noise an XTC discovery book both of which are available from XTC Limelight dot com which leaves our very specialist of very special guests it's colin molding hello colin thanks very much for joining us today how are you doing
1: good morning everyone i'm fine thank you it's a, a lovely bright morning in swindon and the birds are singing, and what more could you ask for?
0: I don't, I can't think of anything more I could ask for. That sounds, that's great to have you on, Colin. And and the reason for inviting Colin onto the podcast is he has reinvented himself as a solo artist for the first time since Too Many Cooks in the Kitchen in 1980. Um, we're all very excited here because we've only just heard The Hardest Battle, which you can buy at BurningShed.com with its rare combination of Beach Boys harmonies and Shakespearean lyrics. Um, oh, uh, first <laughs> uh, I've heard that one. Colin, you chose not to go under the name of the colonel this time, uh, but here you are uh, with, with a solo single. Uh, how did it come about?
1: Uh, just being in lockdown, really. Wanting to do something. Pulling my hair out and thinking, my God, what are we are going to do in the many months that we're going to be locked up, you know? So I sort of went out in the studio and wandered around second-hand bookshops and did all sorts of things, and I came across this, this book. It's called The Complete Pocket Positives. And in it, there is phrases by famous people, and I came across this particular one by the poet E.E. Cummings. I think he's American, although it says he's an English poet in this book, but I'm almost sure he's American. This quote here is like, um, to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you like everybody else means to fight the hardest battle. And I sort of a light, I had a bit of a light bulb moment, moment you know. And um, I thought there's a song there. And I thought, well, there's the title, The Hardest Battle. I was led in bed and I came up with a few chords. And that was the beginnings of it, really. And throughout lockdown, I was kind of busy beavering away, doing all those vocals. Must be about 100 vocals on there or something. 100 vocals, yes. Uh, something, something outrageous, yes. Mm-hmm. And just working in this little bunker here for on my own for months and months and months, really. And then I had gear problems, five months where I couldn't record a note. And getting anything fixed while there's a lockdown on is a bloody nightmare. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's 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 funny that you've mentioned the lockdown because I was actually thinking it myself because there's something about the song which is fantastic as we would would expect um, because it's got this sort of sense of being an upbeat pep talk and I wondered whether uh, you know I can almost imagine it being in a sort of Disney m- movie as a sort of family hey everybody things are going to be all right uh, 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 type of type of message if you can just be true to yourself sort of thing yeah well. and, yeah. and I wondered whether you were sort of writing it as a sort of antidote to lockdown.
1: I think everybody's been on their own, I think. So maybe there is a little bit of that in it, you know. I don't know. I just came across this quote and I thought there's a song there, you know, uh, whether it has anything to do with psychologically with the lockdown, I don't know. But, um, you know, I took it from the hardest battle. That's my my watchword and I'll try and stay on course with that. I I think you have to. If you start with the first line of what it's about... It's, it's, that's a good start, you know, and just try and stay on track, you know.
0: I heard you say something like, along those lines before in terms of songwriting, the idea of st- starting with, the, with, with the, the, the theme of the song. That seems, and then the, the more I've thought about it, the more I've thought about your songs in particular, you tend to, 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 to do that. We're only making plans for Nigel. It doesn't, it, it sort of gets straight to the point. Is yeah. that an important thing for, from, from a songwriting perspective? I,
1: I think it's a must, you know. I think Ray Davis used to do it all the time. Thank you for the days. There it is. That's that's your starting point, mm-hmm. and then you can branch out from that, and it just becomes like a crossword puzzle. Then you know, you you uh, just build build on the rock and try and expand it. You know and. You've got to keep to the point, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think I've, I've, I find it fascinating because you, you could also—I I wouldn't be surprised if you'd have said something like, "Oh, as long as you have the chorus and the chorus is the message, then you can say what you like in the verse." But you're not saying that at all. You're saying start with the verse and, and make that the, the, the key thing. Well,
1: I'm not—I don't really worry whether it's labelled as a chorus or a verse. You know, I'm not—it just is, you know, and it grows. And if it's a chorus, then it's a chorus. If it's a verse, I you know, I'm not that bothered. Uh, the important thing is 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 to stick to the point and and it'll come through
0: yeah does that resonate with you sarah from a from a songwriting point of view
3: yeah i mean i try not to be too personal or too abstract funny enough one of my questions about your new stuff because obviously mark and peter and i've been listening to them intently the last couple of days and studying the lyrics and i think i wonder They do sound personal and poetic, but they do have an abstract nature. And I wonder if that's important to you, for your fans and listeners to know exactly what a song is about. I mean, you could say it in an interview literally, and then, you know, some fans might still think it means something else. But with these two songs in particular, is that important for you to people to know exactly what you're saying and for there to be no divisive... Um, conversation
1: it's important for them to get the point I think but it's also important to kind of not be too literal you know as well and to say things that, that it's not exactly on the point but they know what I mean I think the the main thing is it's like with poetry and the lines that you you do there it, it's not what you say it's the feeling that it gives off That's that's yeah. that's what it's got to be and I think if you stick to that mantra I think you're okay
3: yeah. Because all of your songs, to me, even if they have a type of melancholy in the lyric and even if there's something that's a very serious message, to me, your songs give me a lot of um, positivity. And I don't know if that's a conscious thing. Even if you're singing about grief, you know, I still don't come away from it feeling like I, you know, am <laughs> in this absolute depression. So I don't know if that's something you've ever try
1: to do what makes me cry is a is not sadness i think sadness is just gloom what makes you cry is a kind of an arriving you arrive at a place um you arrive it's 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 something realized after so after so long i think that's what makes me cry
3: yeah it,
1: sadness doesn't make you cry, I don't
0: think. Are you thinking of something like um, like the, the narrative of Billy Elliot, where you've got a, a boy who's from a coal mining community who wants to be a dancer and it's the most ridiculous thing. How could he possibly be exactly. a dancer and then he that, becomes a that's dancer? It.
1: That's it. Yeah. That's what makes me cry, you know, is an arrival of a certain dream or something that's becoming a reality after so long and so so much of a fight for it to to get to this place, you know. And I think that's that's what makes me cry, and that's um, but sadness and despair doesn't really make me cry. I, it just makes me go into myself, you know. Um, it's a different
0: even with something like Scatter Me. It, it's a quite. A, it's a very upbeat sort of tune. It's sort of I'm going to die, but you know, well, life will go on.
1: Yeah, well, if if you look at your favourite films, they're, they've got a variety of emotions in them. They're not all one thing, are they? They go through passages of sadness and the elation, and then trouble, and and "Scatter Me" is—it's kind of got a bitter sweetness about it, you know. It, it's upbeat and it's joyful, but at the same time, it's talking about a subject which is uh, <laughs> some some people might find a bit distasteful. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think if you can get all those qualities in a song, then that's a winner, I think. It's all not all one flavour, you know.
2: Just picking up on what we were just saying there about, about Scatter Me, w- one thing I, I really like about the new single, uh, and it interested me that it sort of comes together with a, a, a demo of Say It, which is an older song. Uh, I think that's yeah. right, isn't it? It um, is. Yeah, and they, but they, they, they seem to be, to be kind of related. They've both got this sort of carpe diem thing saying, well, you know, now is the moment to do this thing. Now is there a, you know, instead of putting it off till next week or whatever. And Scatter Me has a bit of that as well. You know, it's like, well, here are the instructions and this, this is, you know, uh, so it's making a positive out of that situation. Um, do, do you recognise that sort of way of looking at those, that little group of songs? You know, it's about seizing
1: the day uh, yeah I hadn't really thought about it but yeah you, you're right it does have that quality in it but say it was written a, quite a few years ago now but I just felt it just I didn't have a fair crack of the whip you know mm. it came out on a kind of a promo thing really in the the last days of Rome which was XTC you know at the time <laughs> so I thought god I hope this is going to catch a buster somewhere I wrote it for the, I wrote, say it for the, what was going to be the forthcoming XTC album, you know, but little did I know that it wasn't going to be one. So, but after a certain amount of time, I thought, "Mm, I don't think there is going to be one. So I thought, well, it's got to catch a bus to somewhere, you know. So we better put it on this promo thing, which was a bit of an expedient really. And, you know, it was a bit unsatisfactory. And I got the guys from Pugwash to, play on it because you know I thought the chords are tricky so I'll have to get Duncan to play them so I wanted to sort of do a decent version of it really and I remembered the version I did initially of it which I thought was just a little had a little bit more feeling in it and I thought well I'll put it on this little enterprise you know
0: so t- tell us exactly what we're hearing on on this version of say it. this is this is the original version so it's not the version that was released as as, as you just described it
1: no uh, no this it, was the... but
0: it, it, it's more than a demo is that right
1: it, it is the demo actually it is the demo but it yeah. came out well so we we better not call it a demo otherwise people won't play <laughs> it you know <laughs> you start think, calling things a demo oh christ you get rid of that you know and um so um we removed the word demo because it was it came out rather well.
3: Sometimes you sometimes you find the demo has a better feel than the, the re-recorded version, and something you can't capture. And that's I yeah, don't think that's a that's a um, derogatory thing. You know, a demo is it can have emotion that you can never capture again. So release yes. release all your demos.
1: <laughs> no, you don't want them. <laughs> um, no, you're exactly right, and uh, demos some demos do have it and then when you come to do the real thing you think oh something's missing yeah yeah i think you're just too darn honed in on it to yeah you know when you let things fly naturally it just happens wonderfully you know yeah that's the thing with demos you know but they are my demos are more um a demonstration to myself rather than to other people yeah whereas i think andy's demos were demonstrations to other people but Mine were never were so they were kind of well, I better see if that bit works, you know, or this bit works. Yeah, and that's the way it's always been for me. I it was a demonstration to myself whether things could work within you know certain instruments and stuff. That was all really. Do you
3: know when to stop with your recordings? Do you have a process and then you can you can you know hit the stop button and go, I'm happy with that, I'm going to release that. Or do you sort of work on every syllable, every the way that every chord is played? How long does it take you to accept a final version? I don't actually
1: enjoy recording, to be honest. Well, I, I, don't, well, I do and I don't. Um, I mean, Hitchcock used to say the best bit for him when, when he was making his films was when he was storyboarding, you know, because it's creative. And that's the best bit for me is when I'm in bed with my laptop and I'm plugging the keyboard in and I'm just tinkering, and I'm coming up with things. And that's the, the process of discovery is wonderful, you know. Yeah. But then you no think no
3: expectation.
1: No, exactly. And um, and once you've done that, it's kind of oh Christ, I'm going to have to record this thing now and go all yeah. through the many months of layering vocals and everything to make it sound, you know. But for me. I go back to the Hitchcock thing of the best bit about it is the process of discovery, and i, I believe it is.
0: I, I can imagine as well, Colin, just because of your experience, you've been in all of these professional studios with all these fantastic producers over the years, John Leckie, Steve Lillywhite,
3: Todd yeah.
0: Runger, and all the rest of them. Uh, and you've seen how fantastic um uh, recording studios operate and and so you know the standards. you've set the bar very high. you've been in a place where 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 the bar is set very high highly set. Uh, That must be uh, Well I don't know whether That's my question Is it daunting Or is it inspirational To have been in that situation
1: Well It's only the last 10 years That I've really discovered How to record myself properly To be honest We had everybody at our disposal Even people making Tuna fish sandwiches for us You know I laugh at Liam Gallagher. did you see that bit about um was it Liam Gallagher? Yeah, when he said, oh, I've got to make me tea me own tea now, you know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I identified with that really. Um, you've got to do it almost all yourself. I can't afford to pay a, an engineer five hundred quid a day, you know, to, to do that sort of thing. So it's a pretty steep learning curve, you know.
3: Have you enjoyed the process of learning a home studio?
1: Sort of. It's it's hard work and Got to be very disciplined about it, you know. When I had Terry here doing the, uh, we were doing the TC and I stuff in here, it was better because I needn't come round the other side of the desk to plug things in. I had someone who yes. can plug it in, you know. <laughs>
3: Yeah, no one enjoys that element. I don't think I've ever plugged in my own mic.
1: (laughs) No, uh, you're very lucky. Uh, um, (laughs) Listen,
3: Colin, if you put a tweet out saying, well, someone come and record me, you will have a plethora of (laughs) young musicians and tech people to come in, make you tuna sandwiches and turn up your amp. You just put that tweet out.
1: (laughs) I dare say I would, Sarah. I dare say I would, but um, (laughs) I don't know. I'm a bit of a loner, I suppose, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's daunting. I bought a load of kit, which I didn't really know what it did, you know? Yeah. Somebody said, well, you've got to get this because it does that and it does wonderful things. And you only real, realize what it does after a couple of years, really. Yeah. I can record my voice well. The other stuff is a little bit foggy, but um, Stuart Rowe bails me out. If he says, "I really can't get to grips with that, Colin. Then you better go to, back to the drawing board." I think.
3: So, what's your setup? What's your home studio setup? Because I can see you've got a what an analog desk there. Do you have? Do you work with any programming at all, or Logic or Pro Tools, or are you completely old school, like to?
1: I'm I'm Logic. I mean, yeah. yes. Okay. I work with Logic, and I have the Nord. Yeah. Which I'm this thing here, and I record the Nord. I go into the Radar. Yeah. By default, I inherited the band Radar, which packed in some years ago.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then I bought a Radar 2. I just like the converters on the Radar. I think they're pretty unbeatable, to be honest.
3: Yeah.
1: And uh, now I've just recently bought a Radar 24, all secondhand, you know. They're far too expensive to, uh, to buy new. But, but the, the converters are second to none. Yeah. And then I just do um digital, you know, straight into the computer.
3: So you're always recording real instruments. You're never actually programming anything or using, you know, omnisphere or whatever. You're always completely recording fresh.
1: I like to, yeah. I just think you with analog gear, you know where you are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When it's going in, you can see what's happening and and uh yeah, I just I just like analog. You know, you can mess with it, and as it's going in, and pretty much I don't mess with it once it's in there. Yeah, plugins—they're a waste of time with me. Yeah. you know, I um I like to get it right when it's going in, and then I'm happy. You know. Yeah. And and then Stuart Rowe cleans up the mess. You know. <laughs> so, so good on you, Stuart.
3: That's what he's paid for.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, that's what I like to do.
3: I suppose sometimes when you have an extreme, infinite number of, not just instruments, on, but with programming, because it's never-ending, you never know when to stop. And I suppose with the way that you're doing it, it's quite easy to know where you're at and accept, accept what you're doing, rather than having this huge sweet shop of options and not really knowing, you could just put everything on a track. You could just go forever and ever and then you don't even know what it is anymore. So I suppose with the way that you're doing it, you've got a control over, you know, the acceptance of of the song rather than just going, oh, I'll plop that on, I'll plop that on, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I don't like to deviate too far from just the simple setup of the chords and the and me singing. You can get awfully carried away, I think, with production, yeah. and I don't like to deviate too t- too far. If I discover a nice harmony, yeah, that would be nice to put that on there. But yeah. and doubling your vocal, you know, only if it needs it. You know, the important thing is the feeling. You know, yeah. that the feeling comes over. If I've doubled a vocal and think, well, what do I like best? I like to A B them. You know, bring them up on the desk and say, right, do I like that? And, no, I don't know. You know, it's that kind of thing.
2: I'm I'm reminded actually, uh, just from what you're saying there, Colin. It just popped into my head. Boarded up, which I was thinking is an amazing. It's a fantastic song, but also like an amazing sounding song. But if you sort of, you know, you made a little inventory of what's on that track, there wouldn't be a great deal in terms of well, you know, this track has got all this stuff and that track's got all that stuff. But the the mood that's created just out of those few elements uh just amazing it's one of my favorites that maybe for that reason,
1: yeah, it's just atmosphere that yeah. that one really you know I wouldn't say it was musically strong it was it was we went for atmosphere like footsteps on wood and stuff like that, you know yeah uh, and the, and lyric- lyrically is not too bad, um so it was more Of an atmosphere With that one rather than a kind of a production number, you know, so some are like that, you know, they just. Just that way.
0: I'm, I'm thinking about the hundred, the hundred vocal tracks that you've got on the hardest battle. That's that sounds like a a, a lot. I mean, that may actually... be
1: an exaggeration. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. A There's a lot. There's a <laughs> lot. Are we,
0: are we hearing all of them? I mean, that because it's a similar sort of question. You can add, and you can add, and you can add, and you can add. If, if you were the Beatles, you only would have had four tracks in the first place, or eight tracks doubled
1: up. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, they did everything at the same time, like yeah, yeah, like they did used to do in the 50s. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all had to be done but they had the acoustics to manage all that fantastically you know
0: yeah yeah and but but you could you know you could why 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 not stop at 50 vocals and you know what why or 79 or you know 110 oh i see
1: um strength i suppose i know in terms of backing vocals i know the sort of strength i i want so I, it's usually six or eight uh and then there's you know six or eight of another part you know Maybe the lead vocal will be doubled or or not, but you know I know the kind of strength I require, and that that mm-hmm. determines how many I put on. You know,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. and I, I I mentioned the Beach Boys in my introduction. Were you thinking of the Beach Boys? Because I, I, even as I said that, I was thinking actually, is it even before the Beach Boys? Is it I don't know the King singers or something like that? It's it, it is very yeah, vocal no, strong. Now you're talking isn't
1: there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it it is a bit Beach Boyish. Yes, that vocal introduction definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all the doo doo do doo do do um, yeah I just love all that you know yeah we, we yeah. grew up with all that so yeah that's going to come out
0: and of course with a studio you can experiment with that sort of stuff because you can you can do it all yourself you don't need all, all the beach boy brothers to be, to be there with you
1: <laughs> <laughs> no um, I don't think my brother sings so <laughs> it, it' would be difficult um yeah, exactly that's the beauty of sound on sound multi-tracks and stuff you can you can do a lot because it's there it all depends on the feeling that's all i work to all the time is the feeling is the most important thing and uh only do as much otherwise you'll smother it
0: Uh uh uh
1: yeah that's a mantra i've got in in me in me bonds you know
0: i was thinking about that line to thine own self be true because it seems to be well i just wondered whether it was it's like in, in terms of your songwriting career, there was a point where you were under, like very early on, you were under Andy's shadow as a, as a songwriter, and then you discovered that if you were true to yourself, then you could find your own your own um, uh, our, our voice. Niche, yes, yes, yeah. and
1: yes, quite right. I I learned a lot from the old geezer, as one does, you know. I think as life is a learning process, and whoever you come in contact with, it all rubs off on you, you know. I suppose with the advent of Nigel and all the rest of it, that was when I became more myself. Mm-hmm. You know, one doesn't know how to react sometimes, Well it's a process of dis- process of discovery, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and of course, you, you 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 were still very young. You know, you were still in your early twenties. It was it was it's perfectly natural to, to take a while to yeah. find your own for, for in, not just in as a musician, but you know in As a human being, you know it it, it takes a long time to to find your place in the world, which I suppose is what the the song is about. But it it, it, and and even to call it the hardest battle suggests that it is a struggle. You regard it as a struggle to to, to become
1: happy and comfortable with yourself. I think there are people who are not themselves most of their life, and I like to think that they eventually do become themselves. But it's uh, yeah, it can be a bit of a struggle to conform to what. Society wants of you, you know it's um it's a battle.
0: Uh, well I was thinking of it also in relationship to your own songs because having got to that point with uh, that drums and wiresy sort of era where you found your 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 voice as a songwriter, this is also true of Andy, but both of you, I think you in particular, have it's it's as if you um you hadn't read the songwriting rule book and so nobody was telling you oh but you're not meant to write songs about balls and chains and demolition you're not meant to write songs about <laughs> about generals and majors you're not meant to write songs about uh about all of these things you're meant to write love love me do you're meant to write please please me uh you know that's the blueprint and you were always true to yourself uh to to whether it's Kenny whether it's Scatter me whatever to to go in your own direction and and i wonder whether that why that should be what why what uh, ha, ha, how you found the confidence just to say oh i'm going to go in this direction and 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 see what happens
1: yeah well you just give full vent to your imagination really um, when you do that there are no restrictions you know you just gotta let it go off on its own thing and it's better if it does that you know mm-hmm. all those little lines that crashing into your brain from your subconscious there that that's the proper stuff you should write that stuff down uh, but the stuff that's in your conscious that's fairly sort of boring tackle really you've got to um give full vent to your imagination and uh, it will be different you know it, it, the, the truth is very strange and I think when it's not strange then maybe you're not truly being yourself because it sort of conforms to some sort of template then there's lots of cliches in rock and roll i think and uh if you're true to yourself you avoid them and to say you gotta get past the the editor it's the editor is the evil one you're just trying to round everything up into something that's kind of normal and but we're all not normal we're all kind of a little bit out there if we just give vent to our imaginations you know and you just got to get past that editing kind of restriction
0: yeah because I, I was even thinking about it like it, th- th- i knew that your song was going to be called the hardest battle but i had no idea uh, what it no. was going to be, be be like and 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 it reminded me of you know doing limelight fanzine back in the day and i don't know you or andy would give me a list of the songs that you were working on for the next album and it would just be so intriguing because all i would have is 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 these titles and they, uh, as I say, they weren't Please, please me. They weren't I want to hold your hand. They were. Oh, you know, I wonder what this uh, this this song called English Roundabout is going to be about because because it yeah. doesn't it doesn't uh, fit as you say. It doesn't. Um, it, it isn't a rock cliche that, that 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 you were playing with.
1: well, sometimes you don't even know what the song's going to be about. You just start. I think uh, mm. that was a quote by Philip Larkin is that he didn't really know what his poems were about until he got into them, you know. And that's a good thing. You know, you, you don't necessarily know. Maybe you've just got a line or something, but you don't actually know the meaning behind it until you're into it. A few, li- you know, and then down the line you think, oh, yes, I know what this is about now, and then you, you shape it, you know, a bit. Very often you don't know what it's about. You just make a start, you know. Let your imagination just, you know, don't worry about whether it's a verse or a chorus or not. Just just let it all come out, you know. That's the best way.
3: How disciplined are you with your writing, Colin? Do you set yourself a target and say, I'm going to write a song today? Is it merely um, situational or you just go home and write a lyric that you feel at that moment or do you force yourself to do it?
1: No, I, I I don't force myself to do it. I, It's usually in bed with me, uh, um little keyboard that I have. I just plug it into my laptop. I've probably got a bit of Radio 3 going on in the background. And um, I just kind of... Not really kind of... I think if you go to the studio if you go into the studio with the intention of writing very often nothing comes you know you just put too much pressure on yourself but if you just sort of watching the telly or you're strumming or something or you just listen to the radio and then you know it's it's those sort of times when things happen you know because your your mind is free you're not it's not you're not trying to discipline it you know um um, from the point of view of, tr- of getting the recording done, there, you know, some discipline needs to be done, you know, but in terms of just serving your imagination, I, no, I don't think it works, just kind of, uh, well, I know those Abba guys used to go into their place on that island or something and, and write, and they didn't feel that unless you did that, you, anything would come out. Well, they, maybe that works for them, but for me, it's it's, it's uh, it has to be less restrictive, you know. I just you, uh, you can
0: do the tin pan alley thing of just going into your your piano or the, room or grill every day. building or something yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: no 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 <laughs> that's not for me no, no <laughs> discipline
3: so it is a catharsis in no a way discipline. isn't it it is in that case it is purely from whatever you're feeling and and that means maybe we won't get songs from you you know every month but so basically no, you it's it's you whatever you're feeling at the time
1: <laughs> yeah 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 that's that's the way i like to work these days i i don't think i could do an album now they take too long you know yeah (laughs) at my age you run to the doctors you don't walk you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) just in terms of the the kind of the the musical uh, vibe of the new track colin I mean, Mark was talking about the Beach Boys earlier on, which you know it has got that lovely, you know, you, you've got the entire Wilson clan, you've you're standing in for the entire Wilson clan then. but it, it's also got like um, I don't know, it reminded me almost like like of a, 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 if not quite a hymn, but like a song that you would sing at school or something. It's got it's got that kind of element to it as well, that choral yeah. effect.
1: Yeah, it's slightly relig- religious. It's a thing.
2: Hybrid. Is, is that something you were sort of aiming for?
1: I wasn't aiming for it. I was just going, I think I was playing Nimrod. <laughs> I think the chords to Nimrod by Algar, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it went on to some other chords. I thought, oh, Christ, I've got a chord sequence here. I wonder if I could put some lyrics to it. And then the, this hardest battle thing come up, you know, and it, yeah. it sounded like a battle, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, it sounds a bit religious, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah it's I, I was messing about with the chords to elgar's Nimrod at the time
2: yeah well it's it's beautiful keep keep on messing man because it's 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 good stuff and the 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 other the other musical thing which which I, I really noticed and I really like is is sort of the unex- it goes on the front foot unexpectedly, like in the last ten seconds, so oh yes, it, it takes on a little uh, Latin. Grew. The pace
1: steps up, yes, oh, yeah, double time. I really,
2: yeah. really like yeah. that. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, the Kinks used to do that occasionally. They used to go, dum-dum-dum-dum, dum, go in double time, <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and did that just come while you were doing it, or did you think, oh, "I'm going to put one of these in"? Or how did that no, go? No, I,
1: I think it's that sort of thing is just instinctual. I think you you know, it, you you just do it, and you think, yeah. "Oh yeah, that would that would work," you know. And that's those sort of things are instinctual. I think
2: yeah no, no, it's, it's 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 a great little sort of little you know we talk about it being sort of uplifting it really gives it an actual uplift that you know the rhythmic shift is it's a, it's a knockout
1: yeah and the, the growing vocals and everything it brings it to a kind of a crescendo you know yeah marvelous <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you like it. relieved
3: you're gonna get a lot of people dissecting the lyrics because i think it's fantastic lyrically as uh, um, all of your songs to be honest but it is like we're saying earlier it is abstract enough for people to be divided and think oh maybe more into it than they should i mean i know we said earlier you write from the heart and whatnot but do you do you feel like you need to explain the lyric in this song
1: it explains itself, I think. Yeah, I would like—I would like to say. I mean, for for though I know heart be true, uh, I know heart be true. I think it's Shakespeare, and um, that comes from the pocket positives again. You know, yeah. there's this whole section on on being oneself, uh, of statements of much along those lines. You yeah. know, and the E. E. Cummings thing was the first thing, like the hardest battle. And I thought, Christ, where am I going to take this? And there's a there's a there's a quote from Og. It's Ogden Nash. I think he's a, an American poet, and he said, um, "What was it? I am not an owl. I'm a jackdaw, or something." Yeah. You know, so that's where the bird references come from. Yeah. And then the Shakespeare thing: "To thine own self be true." You know. So I put them all together, really. And it,
3: I mean, it, you're referencing these people, and I'd love to know what of what your what of your own lyrics you are really proud of because you are absolutely fantastic lyricist. So it'd be lovely to hear if there is a song that you're most, you know, proud of, period.
1: Oh, God. I wouldn't say there was any one particular song. It's, you know, it's poets as well, really. You, it's all jumbled up, you know. Yeah. Inspiration is never all one thing. Is it's, uh, it's all jumbled up in fragments of other things. So you never
3: go, that is... Unbelievable, okay. I am brilliant <laughs> You never step back from the mic and go Yep, yeah, wrapped, brilliant
1: <laughs> You know, I've just got a I don't like the lyrics of Cole Porter And, and all those guys And uh, all that kind of era They were pretty pretty smack on With uh, the way they used to put words together You know Yeah So I, t- I tend to go back Rather than of my contemporaries, really. Yeah.
3: I, um, You're up there, though, Colin.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, Ray Davis, obviously, the Beatles, you know. You just borrow from everyone, really, don't yeah. you? Have, yeah. have you
0: ever been attracted to that sort of writing that uh, David Bowie did it a bit, R.E.M.? Um, e. Oh, chopping was, up
1: bits of paper.
0: Well, yeah, and, and so, so you get a sort of impression but 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 actually if you try and make sense of it it doesn't make it, it makes it, it may, maybe there's an emotion there but it doesn't have any doesn't make any coherent sense because it, it seems to me that neither you nor Andy uh, you know there may be a bit of debate you might might be I have about certain there's a bit of room for interpretation but I can't think of a single XTC song where I basically don't understand what it is that you're you're going on about you know it, it's it, it's yeah. imaginative it might be poetic but it's not hard to understand
1: Yes, I know exactly what you're saying, and the chopping up the bits of paper, which I think Bowie used to do and stuff, that's okay if it gives off a certain feeling, I think. You know, that's when it's successful. There are other times when you think, what does that mean? <laughs> and just the ambiguity sends you off on something, I don't know. But I've got enough ambiguity in my subconscious, I think, not to be able to – I don't need to chop up the paper, you know. If it's spring, if you're on a thread or something, very often these things sort of just come out. It's, it's purely instinct. I'm always a believer in kind of you should take what your subconscious gives you because basically it's it's doing that for a reason. And I all I've never I never I always write those little snippets down. I never discard them if they've come from they've come from the back of my mind and I wouldn't have said it in the normal scheme of things and i always pay a lot of attention to those things because they very often are loaded with meaning yeah it's instinctual All that mm-hmm. really
0: it feels like you've you've mentioned ogden nash and e cummings and uh somebody i've forgotten but it feels shakespeare. like shakespeare Shakespeare, it feels like there should be a peter mills question here peter peter is a poet and and uh, teaches poetry peter are you burning to ask a poetry related question
2: well, I, there's, there's a specific one. I mean, in, in the um, second of Mark's books, I did a little piece, which was called where, where Did the Ordinary People Go?, which was just sort of a little comparison between some of your stuff, Colin, and some of John Betjeman's poems, where there seemed to be a kind of overlap. And as I was writing that, it, this, sort of more and more of these connections seemed to, to come, and not least with, with Comrades of Pop, because that reminded me of those those records John Betjeman made for uh, charisma in the seventies. Oh yes,
1: yes. Yes, I have a few of those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm being rumbled here aren't I <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, so so I mean do, do you like Betjeman, you know yes, what, of what course, do you think yes.
1: about that? Well his sensibilities I you know they compare favorably with my own, you know. Mm-hmm. English country life and stuff. But, just as much as Ray Davis, really, but yeah, yeah. I do like Betjeman, yeah, yeah. I like Larkin as well, and that was what I was trying to do with Comrades of Pop. I mean, people say, "Oh, that was a dig at Andy." Oh, well, bloody hell, it wasn't. It was, it was just me wanting to write something succinctly, like, yeah. like Larkin, like um, Larkins, um, they fuck you up, your mum and dad, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Just somewhat succinctly about the industry, with yeah. a little bit tongue in cheek, you know. Yeah. it rather got taken the wrong way, really. But, you know, you win some, you lose some, you know.
2: Well, I, I, I think it's uh, an amazing little track and covers a lot of ground. I suppose the difference between, you know, a song and a poem is that a song comes at you, doesn't it, in like a fixed form, two minutes, three seconds or something. Whereas yeah. you can, with a poem, you can go back to it, you can read it as quick as you like or as slow as you like.
1: Yeah, that was the first time I, I was... Going to you know probably the one and only time i 'm going to do a poem set to music, you know, but it oh, I hope uh, not
2: because it 's really good i mean i 'm interested to to hear what you say about kind of that Larkin's ghost wafting around through that particular machine because there, there, there is that it's just a little interesting little sort of hard edge which you don 't always get with Benjamin actually. That you no. do with Larkin, you know. He's just—he's just got that little edge, hasn't
1: he? He's got that little edge, but he's—it's—it's always—it always ends in disaster, doesn't it, with him? <laughs> Whereas with Betjeman, there's always something. There's always a nice ending. Something always turns always. up. Yeah, it's—it's it's, it's a better ending, I think, yeah. with Betjeman. Whereas Larkin, he doesn't care if he goes down into the valley of death, does he? Really?
2: No, and that's That's where right. you'll
1: stay there, really. Yeah. Um, that's the difference between the two. Uh, yeah. But I like the two for different yeah. reasons, you know?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I think, I mean, this is slightly off topic, but I, I always think that the, the, the lyric of dying, which I have to say has haunted me for about 35 years, oh, yeah. reminds me of a, you know, a Betjeman Larkin crossover. There's the empathy and the tenderness, but there's also, uh, well, I don't want to die like you.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of, is it O'Barge, is it, or something? That's yeah. um, a Larkin poem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah He yeah, wrote it yeah. for the Daily Mail or something uh, in the 70s, and it was yeah. just...
2: Yeah, whereas, uh, you know, like the in death, death in Leamington, you know, it, like you say, the tea tray is there all nicely laid yeah.
1: out. Yeah, it's more Betjeman than it is Larkin, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Although Don't Want to Die Like You is probably a bit more like Larkin, I uh, yeah. yeah, it's a mixture of the two, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. and that, yeah, I, I, that,
2: so I, that's really interesting to me to see those influences at work in, you know, in, in in great songs. I mean, you can enjoy them and they're super successful just as they are. But this this other stuff is, you know, adds an extra layer to it.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a little minutiae, isn't it, of uh, that you pick up on old people like boiled sweets and yeah, you know, yeah, and. Uh, Tea towels and stuff like that, you know. Yes, um, it's all good fodder for that kind of thing, really. Yeah,
2: that eye for detail—that's the um, key to it.
1: It's Alan Bennett territory, I suppose. It is. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm wondering whether there's a connection between that the the, the thine uh, to thine own self be true and this sort of feeling of of, of uh, from Betjeman's sort of nostalgia and whatever and 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 the Englishness and stuff. It seems to me that. Colin, you were you were at a very young age, really. You were you were quite nostalgic, you know. But you were only twenty-four or something when you wrote Ball and Chain, so you were already missing a, a, a passing time. And you know, now that you're the age you are now, it's it's maybe not surprising that you're missing the playing fields in Kenny. Uh, but but uh, but you were, you, you've been consistent. Actually, you've 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 always sort of had a slight. Uh, maybe longing for for a past that that, that that's gone even from quite a, a, an early age is is that fair to say
1: yeah yeah possibly i'm i'm quite a melancholic person i suppose mm-hmm. um, uh but that's you just work with what you got. You yeah, <laughs> yeah. And has, has
0: age changed you in that respect? You know, have you has your no, perspective no, no, changed no, with age? No,
1: no, the past is always wonderful, and the future is always <laughs> foreboding for me. Because you
0: know? <laughs> I was thinking about it with with I was, you know, I'm I'm guess I'm thinking this because none of us are getting any younger, so I'm getting older, and so sort I'm of I'm more conscious of the past, and 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 it's with a slight shock that I realised that you wrote Bungalow, or at least Bungalow came out in 1992. And so you, I don't know when you wrote it, but it, it, that was, I think you were about 37 when, when, when that came out. So that's, it strikes yeah. me that that the parents that you were writing about would have been the age that you are now, if you see what I mean. Uh, so so you, you, you are now of the age where you could be asp- aspiring to that bungalow. And I don't, I don't know whether you're... Your sense of time has, 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 has changed that. Have you become your parents? or, or?
1: I, I'm fighting off becoming beige. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, what was the question? Well, is the, the, the question about the the,
0: the the sense of time and, and that you're, you wrote a song that is very poignant about an older generation, and you now are that older generation. I don't know whether that makes you look at the song in a different sort of way.
1: No, I think with Bungalow, it was... Um, Actually, what yeah, I think I know what brought that one around. But as I say, I didn't. I mentioned earlier that you don't actually know what the song's about until you're into it, with poems as well. And uh, with that one, it was um, there was a little track on um, a Beach Boy record. you remember Smiley Smile? It was a yeah. kind of a compilation compilation thing. There was a little track called Little Pad. If I only had a little pet in Hawaii, and I thought little pad, yeah, you're sort of pining for some sort of, uh, yeah. And I thought, yeah, if I only had a bungalow, a bungalow by the sea, and you know, and then it grew from there, and uh, and then that whole thing about my parents, I think Christ, yeah, my parents, they wanted a, a bungalow by the sea. That was the ultimate to retire, you know, and. But I didn't know what it was. What you know, it was just that little pad thing, really, that started that hmm. one off. So you don't actually know where you're going until you've started. Sometimes, you know.
0: I could ask you this question about the whole of the TCNI gigs, the live gigs, but Bungalow in particular, it had such a, a dramatic effect for uh, for the audiences. Did, how did you? That was the first first time it had ever been. It had ever been played. It had never been played live, and here you were getting, you know, playing to a a perfectly well, silent audience.
1: Stuart Rose said, "Oh, you just you just don't want to just play the the hits or whatever." He said, "I'll tell you what really works well in at the Arts Centre if you do something that's really intimate." You know, he, he said, what, "What can you do that's really sort of intimate and would would bring them in? You know, they're there, and it's quite an intimate theatre, but, but doing a little intimate song really works there because he'd already done it. You know, and I thought." And then I started to think, I really, I really haven't got anything of that nature, you know. And then I thought, Bungalow, yeah, I wonder if I could get uh, um, Gary to actually just, you know, me and him do a, a duet, like, you know, just him on the keyboards and me singing, you know, uh, with Bungalow. So that's what we did and it really worked. But it, I think I have um, Stuart Rowe to thank for that. It was his idea to actually do something as intimate as that.
0: And yeah. were, you, were you surprised by the emotional effect it had on on grown men weeping in the stalls? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I didn't mop up their tears. At the end because <laughs> I, I don't know how much liquid was expended. You know? <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I, it went down well. Stuart came backstage out and said that, that, that it was brilliant. You know, That was exactly what I had intended. So, uh, yeah, I was enlightened that it had worked, you know, but it was a bit of a gamble, you know. And then we used it in the intro before we came on, a little, some of the chords of Bungalow. But that was mainly because of the key of it, and it would lift quite nicely when we came on to do Say It at the beginning. cordally it worked, you know. We came on, and then when you lift it up to E, it's just kind of a euphoric kind of thing, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, other, the other thing I was thinking about Bungalow is that it's, it's, it, there's a whole line of songs that you've written where it's not in your voice it's in you know the voice of your parents or the voice of or nigel's parents or the you know the yeah the yeah. The, the fly on the wall there's this you're often taking different perspectives which uh which i think is 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 it again for for a lot of the songs you were writing as a young man i think it's sort of it 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 shows a lot of empathy we were talking about uh po- empathy and poetry as well just th- thinking yourself into somebody else's shoes I, I i do do find that a sort of natural thing rather than just saying uh, I love you. No, that's
1: not, that's not conscious. I think that all depends on getting that first line. Yeah. When you get the first line, then that determines what uh, person you're writing in, the third person or yourself or narrative or whatever. I think getting that first line determines that, and then the crossword puzzle can advance. you mm-hmm. Know? mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: you know, I suppose the the most famous person who who uh, who, who writes in character is somebody like Randy Newman. Um, oh yeah,
1: yes, yes, I've heard some of his stuff.
2: Where it's kind of almost like short stories, aren't they?
1: Yeah, yes, yes, I, I've heard one or two of his stuff.
2: So much so that when he does kind of like a straight love song, like real emotional girl or something, I'm thinking, well, is is that him singing or is he you know is he is he imagining himself in you know what it would feel like to feel like that do you do you make do you make a clearer distinction between songs that sort of you know are in character and ones that are you know what no, I, you I want to say
1: no as i said i don't make that distinction it, uh, it's usually the first line that determines yeah, yeah. What, how i'm going to deliver it and in what sort of person no i it it's it, it's usually a first line comes to me and then and that will decide it you know i I don't make any specific plans of how I'm going to put this over it's It's more instinctual than you would imagine, you know
0: yeah yeah, absolutely, and then when you're singing in another voice or another perspective uh it, it, it doesn't strike me that you have any difficulty finding an emotion for that, but i I would also think it's easier to th- if if you're saying this was my experience and I am and I'm vocalizing it that it is easier to, to to sing in the first person than it is to sing a, a chorus a chorus where bungalow is the, <laughs> is is the sort of chorus line uh, Do did you yeah did you get into character in that way
1: I mean initially on bungalow I thought you know where it goes bungalow do you remember Sparky's magic piano oh, yeah yeah i was going to have a vocoder on it you know well
0: you know there's still an element of that i think
1: uh, yeah, there was on, more on the demo mm-hmm. than there was The band were a little bit kind of iffy Oh, what do you want to put that on there for? Oh, and I I always imagined that it would be, you know But I was kind of talked out of it But I, maybe I shouldn't have been talked out of it Sometimes you just got no reason to do it But it's instinctual You think, oh, well, that's what I hear And you should go with those feelings, I think If that's what you hear, then just do it
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah which again comes back to, to thine to thine own self be true, you and know. Self trust be your true, instinct. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, What do you call that noise?
3: Have you had a panic attack on that magic roundabout in Swindon College?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a beautiful piece of engineering, actually, and um, it's um, they're putting them in all over the world. I, I gather. Yeah. Um, just so people can panic. <laughs> but no, once you're used to it, it's it's actually brilliant. You know, brilliant. the way it filters traffic. Out. <laughs> yeah, a, d- a good day out, yes. <laughs> Alton Towers, forget it, you know. <laughs> I can
3: just imagine so many people coming up to that and going, I'll never go back to Swindon ever again. Um, I love Swindon. You know, I came a couple of years ago and we played a gig. Um, I can't remember the venue, Dave Franklin organised it for us. And I, I oh, yeah. really love Swindon. It's so It's got so much heritage, so much history. The people are not just friendly, they, they really enjoy communicating with you and you know now that we're all living on our phones and connected but absolutely not connected in person I love going to places like Swindon because people actually want to talk you know even if it's small talk I, I really loved it so yeah I'll be coming back to Swindon.
1: Yeah they've, it's okay but they've messed it up.
3: What do you mean the roads or or the people? Well
1: no the Bloody council, I think, because right. they, any any decent buildings that we did have, they they just lay in ruins. You know, right. yeah, uh, lack of money to do them up or yeah. lack of initiative. I don't know. You know, it's yeah, a bit of a mute point with me. But uh, I remember the the red brick town that I used to call my own. You know, yeah, and that's that's the Swindon I love, and it's forever in my memory, I suppose. But I go in. I, I very rarely go into the city centre now, but I did once well we we did during the lockdown and not the, the the real lockdown but you know when it was easing off we did drive in there but it's it's changed immensely you know it's uh i like what they've done to the uh, railway buildings and uh, converted into shops and stuff they've really used it quite well and yeah that's a success story success story for, for the council but yeah generally how they've left things The Mechanics Institute still lies in ruins years after XTC finished rehearsing in there.
3: Perhaps there's another Uh, poem in there. Sounds like there's another song for you there.
1: It could be, yes.
0: Ball and Chain Part (laughs) 2. Do
3: you know what? I do have a a question or an observation. When I hear people like Peter or Mark talking to you about everything you've done and everything that you've brought to your fans – and i hear you know the fire and the passion from people at your gigs you know like you were saying mark people were crying at bungalow or just just following people in the forums on facebook you know some people can you know absolutely decimate each other and they're so into it it's it's amazing to see and, you know i i watch a lot of other bands and watch their followings and see what they're saying and with you an xtc you have given so many people, so much life and purpose and hope and excitement. And you, you know, you listen to people and they they tear apart your lyrics in a really good way and they recite everything to each other. They're at the pub and they're just bouncing off of each other. And I wonder for you, how does that make you feel? Is it is that something you ever consider? Because I really hope you and the rest of the guys know that that's what you've done with your music and your artistry. You've, it's amazing to see how you've brought people together and, and given them so much energy and things to live for. You know, That's not really a question, but I'm just hoping that you're, one, aware of that and, two, I wonder if that's a helpful or a hindrance in how you go ahead with everything that you do artistically in the
1: future well you don't let it affect you otherwise you never write anything i think you know you've got to go you've got to go into yourself to actually uh, find all the stuff you want to write about i think when you start you you just want to be be a respected musician you want to get good at playing your instrument and learn you know and if people say you're a good bass player then that's that was wonderful you know of course, as you go on, it's never enough, is it? You you want to do, you want to branch out. And in the early days, I didn't write at all, you know. It was, I think it was Steve Warren, one of our roadies, said, you ought to write, Colin, otherwise you'll miss out, you know. When you start out, you just want to be a respected musician and then you get into writing and then, you know, you have failures and whatnot. And you just learn, you know, you're still learning now. But I, I'm thankful that, People buy the records and stuff, and you know, have done, and they think so highly of us, and that's all great. But you, for the writing, you you mustn't go there, you know. Otherwise, you'll you'll go off course. I think I have certain things, and I I think these things are going to keep me on course to write. And these things, I'm just going. That's just all going to go to your head, and that's not going to be good for you, you know. Yeah. So you um you you follow your mantras that you have inside your head, and and. Stick to them, I think, and uh, you've got to be in a darkened room to do it. You know, you can't uh, let outside influences uh, intervene. You know, you, yeah. it's a uh, it's a solitary, it's a lonely existence. I tell you, being a writer, where you know yourself. So yeah,
3: but what you what you've brought to people over the years, you know, you, you use the word lonely. I think that your music has brought so many people together, and it really is precious. And you need to know that, Colin. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. People have been telling you your whole life, but you need to know. (laughs) No, Uh, if
1: I didn't know, I heard it here, right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you want to do artistically? So you've written for years, you're, you're, you know, for want of a better word, a solo artist now. Do you have any aspirations to collaborate with certain people or are you just not necessarily winging it, but are you just writing as you feel?
1: I know Andy collaborates quite a bit with other people but it, it i think what comes out of it is a different type of song yeah i think i mean i have stick my neck out and say this but for me it doesn't i don't think it would work collaborating you know yeah i think myself would be too compromised I, i'd have to give vent to my full subconscious and yeah. uh, i can only do that if i'm on my own you know yeah but i know andy does it regularly it works with other people but fair play if it works for him yeah. But I think a certain type of song comes out that would not be as intimate yeah. as I'd like it to be. Do
3: you think if you hadn't have met the boys back in the day, you would have always sought out a band to go on the journey with or do you think you would have potentially been a solo artist?
1: No, I don't think I was well equipped to be a solo artist then, if I am now. I just wanted to be a musician. I gave up my education for it. My parents were horrified, you know, that, I was just giving it all up just to be a musician and it's such a dodgy business. And, but it was the only thing I cared about. You know, I was desperate and I could barely play, but it was just a feeling that I had that I hoped would carry me through. If you're honest with yourself and you don't know it all and you, it's a l you got to learn and being around people who are very competent, Dave and Andy are very competent, accomplished musicians and, and being around them, you learn a lot. And that was the thing, going from strength to strength, hoping against hope that you would be who you want to be eventually.
3: And with these new songs, you're absolutely in that place. You feel that it's exactly what you want to be saying.
1: Uh, yeah, I think. Um, who knows? I don't know what's around the corner in the writing stake, so... Maybe it'll go off on a tangent elsewhere, but where I am now, and to thine own self be true, the fact that it's more or less my first offering as a solo artist, maybe that's all part of that. Yeah, I, I don't know what's happening next, So that, but that's an exciting thing.
3: It is, but it's also sometimes a question, even though I've just posed it, that is not necessary, because the whole thing that we are talking about earlier with nostalgia, um, I, I don't necessarily think nostalgia is a negative because it's, you know, thinking about amazing times that you've had and, and, and your music that was incredible. But I do find, as humans in general, we're always going, well, what's next? Are you going to reform? Do you want to do this? And actually, it's just, let's just appreciate one, what we've already done, but exactly what you're doing now. So thanks for thanks for releasing some new music. Whatever you do right. in the future is, you know, fabulous. But it's really wonderful that you're still doing it, and I think that's important for people because, regardless of whether you're not XTC anymore, and that's every, so many people, that's the biggest thing, isn't it? When are you are you going to reform? And it's like, I don't think that's important. What's important is that you're still creating, you're still an artist, and you always will be, even if you put a, don't put a song out for ten years. And what, to relate that back to the fans, it's people are so thankful. That you're still creating, and it is really not just appreciated, but it's just it's just wonderful that even individually that everybody is still on top of their game so well, I,
1: yeah, well, I was going to say, um, one doesn't do it for the fans, yeah, selfishly speaking, <laughs> one does it one does it for oneself, yeah. you know, one's peace of mind and that yeah. one is a force in the world or yes. whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You're just doing it for self-accomplishment and you know for your own amusement. Yeah. That's why I do it. And if other people like it, fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, it's something you need to do, like taking a pill or something. You know, yeah. so, <laughs> you, know you know, it's.
0: Uh, I was thinking about the the TCNI gigs, which all went very well, brilliantly, and and you released the the, the album, uh, the soundtrack album, live album of that. Uh, but then you chose to to stop because they, for for for, for because it was, you know, you'd done it and you'd achieved it. But did you have any regrets yes. for it? Did you enjoy? Did you, Did you enjoy it? As it, I enjoyed as, for it immensely. It was? Yeah,
1: now, I enjoyed it immensely. And Terry and I had a hell of a lot of fun. You know, it was just laughs. Most of the time, it was laughs all the way. You know, I know he had personal problems. I think he was going through a divorce at the time. But it was fantastic. And you know, we screamed, howled with laughter most of the time, and uh, and it was great. But I, what what he wanted to do, he had a different agenda to me, I think. And that was what the rub was. And I didn't want any resentment to start surfacing. So I thought it's better best to leave it here. Terry likes to tour and he likes to play live. And that's secondary to me. So I think he wanted to carry on from where we left off in 1982, you know, which is not really my bag. You know, I've been 30-odd years kind of being a studio animal really and that's that's my, that's my bag you know
0: will, will you go and see him in in xtc once the restrictions are lifted well possibly possibly mm-hmm. yes
1: mm-hmm. we're still on good terms we still talk but we've accepted that we've got different agendas and you know it's nothing more than that really
0: mhm
1: we're we're okay with each other
0: got to thank you now colin and sarah and peter for having such a fascinating and in-depth and wide-ranging discussion i've really enjoyed it i know that the fans will equally enjoy it uh, not least for all the things sarah's just saying about the, the fans uh enthusiasm which of course i i will i will echo so uh Colin, hope the single goes fantastically. Hope whenever you do your next artistic thing, uh, we'll we'll be here to listen to it. <laughs> and so, very much looking forward to to everything else. But um, tremendous thanks, Colin, for doing that. It's been really good. Thank you.
1: No, that's fine, Mark. Thank you, Mark, and thank you, Sarah, for your very good questions, and uh, also to Peter as well.
0: Bye, Colin. A real pleasure, sir. Thank you. Cheerio, everyone.
1: Bye, bye, then. Bye, bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. What do you call that noise?
0: Wow, that was good. Thanks again to Peter Mills, Sarah Palmer, and of course, Colin Moulding. That was really good of you, Colin, for doing that. Thanks also to Kate Catalina for her drink recommendation. And many, many thanks to the podcast supporters on Patreon who make it all possible, including the following Nights in Shining Karma. Terry Arnott, Dan Barrow, Matt Bell, Kevin Burt, Liam Duggan, Jamie Dunn, Helen Fay, Leslie Gooch, Robert Graham, Jesper Cumberg, Robert Lawlaw, Dennis LeCourier, Liz Lynch, Ian Morris, Yusuf Murrah, Amy Parkinson, Murray Meikle, Kevin Murray, Karen Neal, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Simon Slateholm, Michael Sutcliffe, Mark Thomas, Nigel Waller, and William Wilkstrom. If you'd like to support the XDC podcast, it would be very much appreciated, and you can do so if you go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. See you all again next time. Bye.
2: What? Do you call that noise?
0: Head to xtclimelight.com where you can buy my two XTC books. First, there's the XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls, which is an anthology of Limelight, the XTC fanzine I made from 1982 to 1992. We had a couple of lifelines to the world and, and Limelight was one of them.
1: So the book is the XTC Bumper Book of Fun for
0: Boys and Girls. It's stunning. Thank you, Ian Lee. And then, there's What Do You Call That Noise, an XTC discovery book, where you'll find more from the band, plus commentary from musicians including Anton Barbo. For me, it's just simply a life-changing song. Anne McHugh.
3: It's like a painting by Van Gogh.
0: Jason Faulkner. XTC
1: probably made the most impact on me of, of any band that I can think of.
3: Chris Butler.
0: If there's
2: anything more... Classic
0: XTC E-E-E-E, this is it. And Rick Buckler. It was well produced as well. It had, it had the support of a great producer. I mean, it really sounded strong. Order your copies of both books at xtclimelight.com. It's a paper and ink net, the internet with added
2: staples.